Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to the Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Well, I wrote uh, about SMU in San Diego State today at johnkanzano.com. I took a deep dive on SMU. They have a booster at SMU, David Miller, who played basketball at SMU in the 1970s, was a center on the team. He's now a major donor to the university's NIL fund. Uh, The NIL fund at SMU is called the Boulevard Collective. Uh, He happens to also SMU's quest to join the Pac-12. When George Klyovkov made his visit to SMU's campus, students were there. Uh, The Dallas Morning News sent Joe Hoyt, our next guest there, but uh, also there was David Miller. And, in fact, some people at SMU who interacted with Miller at the game told me today that he walked up to them, leaned in, and whispered, we had a very good day. Now, I asked a member of the Pac-12 CEO group about Miller specifically because I've been thinking about something. Miller's got his name on a variety of buildings at SMU. He just made a $50 million donation with his wife to the university's business school a couple years ago Um, he's a major mega donor i've been thinking about smu possibly buying its way into the pac-12 or subsidizing the move by saying hey we don't take any money for two years because smu i think is highly motivated to get into a power five conference uh and and start you know trying to be part of major college football again uh and i was told by a member of the pac-12 ceo group quote he has been involved. Uh, I believe that George Klyovkov, the Pac-12 commissioner, has met with Miller, made his money in petroleum and, and gasoline and uh, fossil fuels, but he's now uh, got a private equity firm that is one of the biggest in the country. Is it possible SMU is trying to buy their way into the conference? Joe Hoyt, Dallas Morning News, joining us now. You were there in February when Klyovkov went to that SMU basketball game, Joe. Like, you know, you, let's go back and recap the energy of that night. What was it like in the building? Yeah, it was extremely, um, I'd probably say kind of like tense, but exciting. And you can almost feel it a little bit because everyone was looking for George Klyovkov. They, they knew he was there, but they couldn't find him. Uh, and ultimately, he was up in a suite. Um, but everyone kind of around SMU was feeling, hey, this is finally our time. This is our chance to get back in we're host it's kind of like hosting a a big recruit you know these days on an official visit you know it kind of could be mean not that much but for them it kind of meant hey let's let's sell them and get this deal done so that was that was an interesting night and kind of as you touched on and you know uh, rick hart obviously met with him and david miller definitely met with him that night too yeah and i think you know you look at miller you know you're familiar with his names on all the sorts of buildings names on the court at smu you know there are probably several high-value donors who are involved in this. But give me an idea of when you might have heard David Miller's name as sort of, uh, you know, the guy flying around the country trying to get SMU into another conference. Yeah, no, it's been a while. So I think one thing you got to remember about David Miller is that he is the, the chair of the Board of Trustees, too, which is a really powerful position, obviously, at SMU. And you kind of touched on it a little bit. This is a guy that grew up, you know, wanting to play at SMU. You know, he saw – what they were at, you know, in the Southwestern Conference. You know, he's from Richland, which is a little bit, you know, towards the Fort Worth side. And, you know, he nearly committed to Texas Tech, but said, wait, you know, his mom said, hey, wait one day and, you know, maybe the SMU offer will come. And it did. And so this is a guy that's kind of had a lifelong journey of 
of trying to make SMU kind of what he always envisioned it would be. And, you know, obviously the death penalty kind of brought SMU back and um, he's been trying to bring them back to prominence, you know, as a donor um, now as the, you know, uh, the board chair and, and kind of, as you touched on, I think that he's put in a lot of miles flying over the last year and a half, trying to talk to anyone he can to get SMU into a power five conference and show that they're ready for a return to prominence. Joe Hoyt, Dallas morning news with us. Uh, you know, somebody asked me today how quickly SMU basketball, how quickly SMU football could compete. Now, now that kind of points to the Boulevard, the NIL collective there on campus. Where do, what is the buying power of the Boulevard in your mind? Uh, it's immense. Um, I, I think that it's – I think the Boulevard collective is buying power, and obviously I know pay-for-play, quote-unquote, is not a thing. Um, but I think the Boulevard is kind of the great equalizer – you know, in terms of, of SMU's kind of recruiting efforts. Um, I think that they're a team, specifically let's look at football, I think they're a team that believes that they can recruit like a Power 5 team. I think if you look at the average recruiting rankings of their 2024 class, and I believe they only have four commits because they're really going to go more transfer heavy and more likely, but those four commits kind of have an average that would place them in the mid-tier point of the Pac-12 right now, as it is. And so if you're kind of already competing at a Power 5 level, all you need is that Power 5 kind of label to maybe even boost that recruiting. And that's what a lot of people here believe. And I, I think the Boulevard Collective plays a huge part of it. Uh, just for some perspective, uh, Oregon's hosting, you know, four kids from Duncanville, which is a high school powerhouse right south of SMU right now. One of them is uh, Colin Simmons, who is a number one edge rusher in the country, five-star prospect. Before he was at Oregon, I mean, Oregon, he was at Alabama. And before that, he did an official visit at SMU. So SMU was able to get an official visit for him, and they believe that, with a power five label, they could convince some of these guys to actually stay home. Yeah. Joe, let me ask you too, because I talked to somebody with the Boulevard collective and I said, you know, and it's always, you're always going to get the week on us from the inside. Right. And I said, where yep. do you rank? You know, and it was the head of the collective. And I said, where do you rank if we put you in the PAC 12? And he believes that they would be only behind Oregon and division street as far as buying power, which I think it's going to scare some people in the Pac-12. Like, I don't think Oregon State, Washington State, and Arizona are going to want to hear that because they go, okay, wait a minute, you know, we're bringing somebody in and potentially bringing somebody in that's going to compete at a high level. Can you look at what TCU has done with Sonny Dykes and compare it to what SMU could be? Is there any of that rubbernecking going on? Yeah, I think that that's a great comparison. I think that's something that's really kind of bought in a lot of SMU Board of Trustees members is, hey, look at what TCU just did. You see all those zeros after – you know, on those uh, on those contracts from getting to a CFP, you know, and all that money that that generates. I think that that has become kind of a modeling point for a lot of SMU people. And I think it's interesting. I think it's a great point you brought up about, hey, can that scare some of the people in the Pac-12? Because, John, there's a reason that SMU has not been allowed to come back into the Big 12. You know, there's <laughs> there, it makes a lot of logistical sense. It's a former Southwest Conference team. But I think a lot of people know what SMU did, obviously, in the Southwestern Conference before the death penalty. And I think a return to a Power 5 label is kind of one thing that could kind of awaken this monster a little bit in the eyes of some people. Yeah, that competition with TCU is interesting. And I feel like I've watched on social media a little bit of backbiting. Maybe some of it's natural because of the geography. But is that is the state of Texas big enough for all these schools in Houston and TCU and Texas Tech and you know, uh, Texas A&M and Texas, and we start to look at the Dallas market, Joy. We start to go, we start to go. Hey, you know, it, it, is there enough there? You know, when you look at that, Joe, what do you see? I, I think that 
you know, we talk about SMU as kind of this, like, hey, can they bring the Dallas market? And I don't think that's – I think that's something that a lot of even pro teams here in Dallas struggle with. Right. I think it's kind of the Cowboys, and then, you know, you kind of got a lot of people fighting for things. I think A&M and Texas obviously have huge presence here. So does Texas Tech, TCU obviously in Fort Worth. So I think, you know, in terms of the market size, I think SMU – and, you know, we've talked – I mean, people have talked about it ad nauseum. I think SMU brings kind of an opening for – you know, the Pac-12 to finally, you know, crack into Texas. And I think from a recruiting standpoint, it's it's vital for some of these teams. I mean, you look at how Oregon's already recruiting, for example, in Texas. I mean, now give the, give them the chance to walk into kids' rooms and tell them, hey, we'll be back here every year, other year, um, you know, in Texas every single year. So Joe Hoyt, Dallas Morning News is with us. Um, you know, San Diego State got a lot more public attention about, you know, their possibility, their fit in the Pac-12. Maybe some of that is geography, but maybe some of it, Joe, is because SMU uh, went so quiet. It's a p- private school, kind of got its hand slapped, I think, a little bit after that February visit, and it's been very quiet on that front. From your view, covering the program, covering this story, um, you know, have you seen continued enthusiasm it appears that both sides have continued to talk, and, it, and SMU seems to be expecting an invitation. I'd say SMU is expecting an invitation, and I'd also add, though, that I think that they've been confident for the last year. I mean, you know, I kind of wrote this the other day. You look at when UCLA and USC decided to leave. That was nearly a year ago. You know, we're talking about early July, and since then, I believe SMU has been confident they're going to get a Power 5 invite somewhere, whether that was the ACC, the Pac-12, or even the Big 12, and I think, obviously, relationships with the Pac-12 have strengthened. And I think even since that February meeting, even though there's been a lot of time and not a, not a lot of chatter since then, I think that confidence really hasn't waned. I think, I think there's natural, like, oh, hey, you know, things are kind of taking a while. If it was so easy, why wouldn't it be done already? Kind of, you know, thoughts around that. But I don't think SMU's wavered in that confidence. And, and ultimately, I think when an offer were to come from the Pac-12, um, especially if the Pac-12 is in its current status um, and you know people don't affect I think that SMU would be pretty quick to say yes we're talking to Joe Hoyt Dallas Morning News all right basketball wise Larry Brown had it going there at SMU where do they stand today in basketball in your mind um you know they've got some work to do they had a uh, you know last season was the first year under head coach Rob Lanier and uh, it was definitely kind of a uh, you know learning the you know learning the lay of the land and kind of you know getting a lot of transfers in and just kind of seeing what they can do. They struggled mightily um, ultimately, but I think that they really like their transfer hall this year. And, and, you know, SMU basketball is like you said, it's had some success previously and being in Texas, you kind of have that recruiting angle too. You know, it's kind of funny. A lot of high school kids from Dallas are now kind of transferring to some of these, you know, other big programs, you know, these big high school charter schools. And it's funny. I think a lot of SMU basketball people might be saying, Hey, you know, let's kind of do what football does and try to bring these guys back home after they've gone from home, these five-star, four-star recruits, when they're feeling a little homesick. And it's funny, I think, now that even extends into the high school ranks as well. So uh, they got some work to do for sure, but, um, you know, they, they believe that they have potential in that program as well. I think the beginning of next season would be huge um, for that kind of momentum that they hope to have. Joe Hoyt, Dallas Morning News. Follow him on Twitter. Read him. Joe, you doing well, man? Doing great, yeah. Um, you know, just uh, just trying to survive the heat here in Texas. You know, a little 115 heat index today. Woo! So if any <laughs> anyone coming from back 12 country, you know, maybe they should consider that as well in the summer. So Yeah, we'll stay out of the summer there. All right, Joe, I appreciate you, man. Uh, thanks for jumping on with us. Of course. Take care, John. All right, there he is, Joe Hoyt, 
Dallas Morning News. Uh, interesting day for me. I wrote about SMU and the boosters uh, this morning and ended up on a phone call with uh, the commissioner of uh, SMU's home conference, uh, Mike Oresco, who is the uh, commissioner of the uh, All-American Conference, and uh, ended up just kind of talking to him about, you know, the lay of the land and SMU and the AAC. And keep in mind, um, you know, the AAC lost three schools to the Big 12 recently, including Houston. And, you know, they all opted out and then bought their way out. I found Michael Oresco, the commissioner of the AAC, to be rather refreshing. My conversation with him was not at all like the conversations I've had with some other conference commissioners who, uh, you know, are protecting their turf fiercely. He kind of just said, hey, I know who we are. You know, he said, you have to know who you are. And he said he supports his conference members. He supports, you know, them doing what's right. for. And he says uh, he doesn't want to make anybody uncomfortable. And, uh, you know, if they want to be in his conference, great. And if they don't, he said, uh, I applaud what they do for the conference um, and I wish them well. And I really think it's very much a different conversation than the one Gloria Navarez at the Mountain West Conference is having with San Diego State right now. And I blame San Diego State, actually, for that one. Because San Diego State is, you know, required by their contract with the Mountain West Conference to inform the Mountain West of their intention to leave the conference before they leave the conference. And then if they do that before June 30th, they owe $16.5 million dollars. They do it after June 30th. They'd owe $34 million. So obviously they want to do it sooner rather than later. So instead of informing the Mountain West Conference, San Diego State came out and said, hey, you know what? We would like to uh, talk to you about our intention to leave the conference. We'd like to ask you for 30 days grace period. Can you be lenient with us? We'd like to ask you maybe if we can pay that $16.5 million in installments. Um, and this is just our notice uh, telling you that we might give you notice. And the Mountain West Conference said, no, actually, this is your notice. We're accepting your notice. And, you know, now you're on the clock. And, you know, then San Diego State wrote, wrote a second letter to the Mountain West Conference and said, wait a minute, we did not intend to give you notice. We were just giving you notice that we might give you notice. This is like a Dr. Seuss book. And in the end, I kind of I side with the Mountain West Conference here because San Diego State, if you give them the benefit of the doubt, they look very eager, you know. They're, they're not doing a great negotiation here. They're going all in. They've seen one card. And they're going all in with the Mountain West. Like, you know, and the Mountain West Conference is going, okay, we accept your notice. They're not doing them any favors. Like, they're not here to help them get out of the conference. And, you know, if you give them the benefit of the doubt, they just look eager. If you don't, they look sloppy. Like, it's kind of a sloppy maneuver to give a letter and then have to write a subsequent letter saying, hey, we want out, and now we really want out. So I kind of am left wondering if uh, San Diego State has played all its cards here and whether or not this is going to affect their negotiation with the Pac-12 conference because I still believe that it is headed to a resolution. I had originally said June 30th because of the San Diego State deadline, but guess what the Aztecs just did? They removed the deadline. There is no deadline now. They're off the clock. Pac-12 is off the clock. Pac-12 doesn't have to do anything before June 30th. And, in fact, it behooves them to wait until, like, July 1, July 2, July 3 to invite San Diego State because then San Diego State would have to, what, reapply for admission to the Mountain West Conference if they don't do the deal with the Pac-12. Like, 
they've kind of painted themselves into a corner a little bit here. I, I still think this is going to get done. I think it's going to be San Diego State and SMU added to the conference. I think they need 12 teams in the conference for the inventory for football in particular and basketball. I think they need the 4.1 million TV households between Dallas. Dallas has 3 million of them. And San Diego. And I think the Pac-12 dances on lives to play another day. There's some others who don't believe so. But that's what I believe. That's what I'm being told. Leave it here. NFL is going to reinforce its gambling policy. NFL uh, reporting that it's going to redouble its efforts. How do you redouble your efforts? We're circling back. We're redoubling. That sounds like bad parenting. I'm going to say that the next time uh, the kids blow off when I say, hey, turn your lights out. It's time to go to bed. I'm going to tell Anna, I'm going to redouble my effort on this one. But the NFL is redoubling its efforts to reinforce the league's gambling policy. Um, apparently, it's uh, been sufficiently embarrassed by the rash of recent violations. All rookies, not veterans, because the veterans never would go for this. This is how the Players Association gets it done. They go, okay, uh, NFL says, we would like everybody to attend mandatory education sessions. And the Players Association goes, our guys don't do meetings. That's how that conversation goes. And then the NFL goes, yeah, but we publicly need to sell the idea that we're reinforcing, we're redoubling our league gambling policy. And the Players Association goes, let me huddle with the veteran players and find out what they'll go for. The Players Association comes back and goes, okay, here's what we can do. All rookies will now be required to attend mandatory education sessions, and uh, we'll also have league officials come and make in-person visits and emphasize and clarify you're not to be uh, doing prohibited gambling activities. You cannot bet on the NFL. You cannot gamble at your team facility. You cannot gamble while you're on the road at a team facility. You cannot gamble when you're at the team hotel. You cannot have someone else bet for you. You cannot share inside information, and you're not to be in a sports book during the NFL playing season. Oh, and by the way, don't play fantasy football. Nah, you can't do that. That's the world that they live in. Stephen, will it work? Um, no, I don't think it'll work. <laughs> I think when you have money involved in these type of things, there's always going to be people trying to uh, cheat the system a little bit as much as they can and trying to get as much money as they possibly can. Because there, it is, you know, if they have information and they know someone that's betting and they keep getting, you know, and they keep getting asked about it, because that that's how gamblers are. They're going to keep asking you these questions. At some point, someone's going to say something or someone's going to do something, and I don't think it's going to stop it. I do think it's going to help. And I think it's, I think the fact that they're making it so clear and it's so out in the public now of what they can and cannot do I think is great, uh, but I don't think it solves all the problems. It solves the perception problem that they're not doing anything. And it says, hey, look what the NFL is doing. They're going to make rookies uh, not gamble on NFL games. Rookies, I, it's kind of like social media. Like, you know, my 20-year-old knows more about kind of Instagram, and she came up on she. This was part of her childhood. She grew up on social media. She understands it better than people of my age, right? You know, she understands it better than her grandparents. She understands it better than me. We're the ones that need, like, the social media primer course. Explain to me how the algorithm of Facebook and TikTok and Twitter, and you know, we needed all that. And, you know, some of us still need it. Some of us still don't know how it works. But... You know, and we saw all the faux pas that were made by like older people in social media, Anthony Weiner's era of uh, Twitter and all that. Uh, you know, the mistakes were all made by people who didn't know what they were doing, 
it, it was, you know, people who had already arrived and under the spotlight and didn't yet ha didn't have the knowledge to uh, use the technology or the tool, so to speak. Uh, maybe a bad use of words there, but it in the in the end, the veteran players are probably those who need the most education and the most reminder because they did not grow up being told by the NCAA like today's generation is, hey, beware of fantasy football, beware of betting on the NFL. Be they didn't have it drilled into their head. Then it wasn't part of their ecosystem. Secondarily, the veteran players have more money. They have more disposable income. The rookies, you know, they have money maybe for the first time, but I I think it's they're doing a better job in my mind of managing the perception problem. They're not actually managing the problem, which is, hey, you shouldn't be betting on an NFL game, and you shouldn't be wagering from a team facility. Now, help me with this, Stephen. You can step outside the team facility across the street. You can you can wager, but if you do it inside the locker room, you're in trouble. Like, doesn't that seem weird to you? It, it doesn't make sense. Um, you know, I think it does have to do with the fact that these, you know, these uh, you know, FanDuel, DraftKings, these type of companies, they see these young players making all this money and it is disposable income like it is like you said maybe it's the first time they have money and what you know what if, if you come from nothing and then you get a bunch of money what are you going to do with all the money and i think gambling is one of those things that you know these companies feast on maybe younger players yeah. um that says you know they can lose this money and they'll be like well you know what i'm still going to be in the nfl for so and so many years i'll be fine and i could bet you know 100,000 dollars on a game and lose it and it's okay and then all of a sudden it's not okay cuz then they lose all this money so i think that's why they still have these rules of saying, you know what, we're going to be making money for you, NFL. NFL, you're going to be making money for us. It's a good you know, business partnership, and I think we can't allow it where we can't make it so players can't bet on the games because there's this money-making opportunity. Brings us to our big splash. It was a money-making opportunity on the golf course. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. Well, the U.S. Open was played over the holiday weekend. Uh, I'm slow getting to it, but I wasn't on air yesterday. Wyndham Clark walked off the winner, beating Rory McIlroy by a stroke at the Los Angeles Country Club. Former University of Oregon golfer uh, says he lost focus on hole number 15 of the U.S. Open, but he sure regained it. I lost my focus a little bit on the 15th hole, short par three, where I took a three-shot lead, and I kind of just zoned out and didn't really have a clear target, and I hit a terrible first shot. And um, So the, the hardest thing is really keeping your focus and trying to stay in the moment versus thinking about, man, I have a three-shot lead. All I have to do is just par in, or you know, and we got this. So, um, But I would choose being the hunted versus the hunter anytime. Being the hunted versus the hunter, Wyndham Clark walked off the winner. He's a major winner. He beat Rory McIlroy by one stroke at the L.A. Country Club. Good story. Efforting Casey Martin, his coach at Oregon, trying to get him on the show today to talk about it. But it's such a good story. is you know. And, look, we had a rooting interest here in the state of Oregon. But i got to be honest with you. I was watching the leaderboard and watching McIlroy. And, of course, Ricky Fowler faded uh, in the last couple of days. And, I was looking to see who's going to win this thing, and I, I you know, I was, I was rooting for 
for Wyndham Clark at the end. Stephen, did you pay any attention to it? Yeah, I was watching a little bit on Father's Day. Uh, it was a good, good little tournament, good little end there, and it's refreshing to hear a guy like Wyndham Clark win this tournament and, and come out and be so honest afterwards. Like he thought he had it in the bag, and I think we all kind of thought it was over. And then he had the bad couple holes, and it became a tournament once again. So it was cool to hear him say that, like, you know what, I thought I had it basically, lost focus, and look what can happen. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think all in all, it's uh, all in all a good uh, Father's Day little uh, gift for Wyndham Clark. I think uh, for those of us who like sports and like predictions or maybe unpredictable outcomes in sports, seeing uh, kind of that Ricky Fowler, Rory McIlroy, Wyndham Clark finish between Saturday and Sunday was really fascinating to watch. We'll talk more about the NBA draft. Uh, Sean Hyken. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth radio show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth radio show. Thanks for listening.